Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidinol, founder of Leading Australian Podcast Agency and 2021 Australian Podcast Awards finalists, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way, pursue your passion, and why there's really nothing better. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Peers, I want you to think about where you are in your life right now. Are you doing what you want to be doing or are you doing what you have to be doing in this moment? Striving or just surviving? Today's guest, Irene Liu, tried a lot of different careers before founding Chio, a food delivery service for pregnancy and postpartum meals. And while she found success in her early careers, the greatest lessons were the ones she was able to harness to fund, expand, and future-proof her own venture. Irene joins the podcast today to discuss her journey, how regrets became lessons, how she came to the entrepreneurial world with business skills honed in the corporate world, and ultimately how she finally achieved professional fulfillment by helping people. For those of you who haven't yet posted about our podcast on your socials, or if you're new here, please do take a screenshot of this episode right now post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, peers, without further ado, welcome Irene. Irene. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Of course. You know, you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all the incredible work you're doing in the nutrition space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, of course. I'm excited to chat. Awesome. So for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I am the CEO and co-founder of Chio, and at Chio, we are a stage and symptom-specific nutrition program for expecting mothers. So 
blending Eastern food therapy, so think traditionalized medicine, with Western evidence-based nutritional standards. And we started in New York City in 2020 during the pandemic, and then recently launched nationwide for our postpartum program. Oh, so cool. I can't imagine starting a business during the pandemic, but hey, you pulled it off. So I can't wait to talk more about how it all got started and how you made it happen. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? So I grew up in Los Angeles. I'm actually sitting in my childhood bedroom right now at my parents' house, second generation Taiwanese American. And so my mom has always believed in, you know, food as medicine, eating with purpose, eating with the seasons, and all of the traditional Chinese medicine ingredients are like in her pantry. And so it's funny because, so I've always had that in the back of my head, always been, you know, health conscious, nutrition focused, even though I'm not clinically trained. And because of that, in college, I worked at a farmer's market in Oakland, serving food desert areas and giving them access to healthy produce. And that really sparked my interest in the power of nutrition and also how important access and education is on the topic as well. And from there, then I graduated from college, ended up working in consulting at Bain for several years and tried as much as possible to do work in retail and grocery, which was a really amazing experience. And I also did a six-month rotation at a food access nonprofit called Top Box Foods on the south side of Chicago. So it was kind of continuing what I loved doing when I was in college and deepening my understanding of the systemic issues in the food system. So I was launching mobile grocery spots on the south side of Chicago with community colleges. And kind of from that, I realized this is a much bigger problem that even the nonprofit was doing really impactful work, but it really needed policy change. And I didn't really know how to navigate that. So I actually went to graduate school. I was doing an MBA and an MPA, so business and policy dual degree. And this was starting in 2019. Pandemic hit 2020. I was working in actually city economic development, helping small business owners trying to figure out PPP loans, surviving during the pandemic. So small business ownership was very top of mind for me as a way to improve the environment that allows people to have access to things like healthy food and be able to afford them in a more sustainable way than a nonprofit coming in and how you would scale a nonprofit nationwide. And so then that summer, I also happened to be home because of COVID. And I saw my mom making these traditional Chinese medicine postpartum meals for my aunt. And that was the first time I'd lived at home for a decade, (laughs) at least, and was really fascinated by why are they eating these things? What's the nutritional components behind it? What are other countries doing for women? during this period and caring for them in a more holistic way and what is the U.S. doing? And the more I dug into it, I was really shocked that there wasn't something like this that existed, at least on a more scalable manner in the U.S. And that was more of the standard of care that people had access to instead of like living underground in different networks. And so then that's 
basically how I thought of Chio, like understanding the traditional Chinese medicine and generations of wisdom that have created this approach. But how do we modernize it with Western nutritional standards so that it can be more accessible for people through their OB-GYN recommendation or eventually payer coverage, so coverage from insurance as food as medicine. And that's really my motivation for building Chio and how we got started. So, so interesting, Irene. It's always so funny looking back, I think, and then it almost looks like it makes complete sense. Oh, and then I studied this and then what came from my mom. And then it's so funny in the moment, though, I often find it feels so messy, like so messy. And like, oh, I think I'm making that decision. But then like, uh, and now I'm going off to study this because that feels right, but I'm not sure how that adds up. You know, how did you navigate through that kind of almost like passion definition or like, you know, obviously you had that inkling from your mom early on around nutrition and whatnot. But then, I mean, you went off to study at all these super beautiful schools. Like how did that play out for you? What did that feel like at the time? Did it feel messy? And if so, how did you navigate through that? It's funny because my friend recently, who's known me since college, made that comment too. She was like, your narrative, it just makes total sense. And I was like, oh, it did not feel that way. It was very messy, very zigzaggy, very anxiety inducing when I wasn't sure the direction. So I think the period that I felt the most clarity was actually when I was sure that I wanted to go to graduate school because I had seen when you work for Fortune 500 companies and best practices of how to build businesses and ability to scale. And I was seeing that compared to a nonprofit that didn't have any of those resources, that didn't have a lot of those best practices, but were doing really important work. And I couldn't figure out a way to bridge the two. And so I had the most clarity going into graduate school. Then when I got to graduate school, it was very messy (laughs) because then I was exposed to so many other things because I went in being super interested in the food system and figuring out where to play in the food system so that we can get people more access to healthy food and better nutrition education. So how do we actually elevate these communities? And that's how I found economic development and why I started working in city economic development, helping small business owners. And how do you make a thriving economy so that people can have the means to purchase the food themselves and that you can create a more sustainable economy that way to sustain these types of businesses? So that was what I thought (laughs) my first year into school. And so when my aunt had her baby and I saw these meals, like I It sounds really silly now, but I really did not plan to start a company. I just knew that something like this needed to exist, and I knew women wanted it, and I just wanted it to be brought into the world. And so then when we started Chio, I got connected with my co-founder, Jennifer. So Jennifer is a clinical nutritionist and private postpartum chef, used to go to people's houses and cook one-on-one to care for them during this time. And so we had gotten connected. We did a pilot that fall of 2020, literally her making the meals in her house in upstate New York, me meeting her from Philadelphia us fighting deliveries between the two of us. And we got our first customers from the pilot because she knew a woman who was running a prenatal fitness studio. And so the woman, her name's Carolina, she's amazing and sent it out to her clients to see who would be interested. So they were our first pilot customers. And so that was basically like a five-week pilot. We learned a lot. I think my biggest takeaway from that was like, 
when women were interested in what we were selling, but the product wasn't there yet. And so I knew that I needed to raise money to make the product what I knew it needed to be. So now that's December of 2020, we closed shop just to like think about how we capitalize this business. What role did I want? What role was Jennifer going to have? Is this going to be a small business? Is it going to have investors? I still have two full years of school as well. <laughs> There's a lot of ambiguity across all of that. And so I was thinking about that that December. I started kind of just figuring out like what does getting funding look like? Like who am I supposed to talk to? What does a VC firm do in the process of diligence? And at Bain, I had worked in growth equity. So I know how diligences work later stage companies. I didn't know like at this early stage when there's no revenue, barely a product, like how do you sell this dream to somebody to fund and what does that early stage look like? And then actually, honestly, miraculously, we ended up being the first search result on Google that December. And so I'm having these conversations, kind of feeling demoralized. And then we started getting a bunch of pre-orders and we were like, where is this coming from? We go through Shopify, realize it's coming from Google search. Strange. <laughs> so then we like do our own Google search. We're like, oh my God, we're the first search result when you look for postpartum meals, New York, or pregnancy meals, New York. And so we had a bunch of pre-orders. We were closed. These women are in a very vulnerable stage of their life. And so we felt a responsibility to fulfill them and get up and running as fast as possible. We didn't want to just cancel it. And then it's just like, good luck. You know, like there isn't really a lot of other options like us. And so then basically we got spun up as quickly as possible in January, <laughs> pulled a bunch of favors networking to get into a kitchen. We were using a restaurant because it was COVID. They had a day off. So on their day off, we were operating in their kitchen and we had a bunch of really talented Michelin star chefs that were out of work. So they started working with us off the bat because they were so advanced. They didn't need a lot of structure or guidance from us, which was great because we didn't know what we were doing at that point. <laughs> then we were delivering the meals and then that was January of 21. It just kind of kept going from there. Then we got a feature in New York Times in, I think it was February of that year, because they were interested in postpartum care traditions around the world. We got a feature in Bon Appetit in May of that year, which I actually just like pitched us <laughs> to Bon Appetit, a cold email. And then that was when the business was really becoming a business. And keep in mind, like I was still in graduate school, not really doing graduate school, granted. And that was when I came to realization, like, oh my God, this is becoming a business. And do I need to drop out of school? Can I fundraise for this company? Do I want to be running this company for the next five plus years? Because my only thought in the beginning was like, oh, this should exist. I hadn't thought about like, and this is the end goal. And this is how, you know, like all the things that you should think about when you first start a company. And the main thing that I struggled with was, especially because the business had to pay for itself in the beginning, it was bootstrapped. It is a high price point and it still is. And I acknowledge that. And so for me, I needed to figure out a way that I could build it in a more accessible way for people, given my background that I care about food deserts. And I worked on the South Side of Chicago and Oakland trying to get people more access to healthy food to then sell a premium meal plan company for me was really hard to bridge myself and the company that I'm building. And I needed to see a path of how I could do this authentically and know that I could motivate myself 
for all of the ups and downs of the company and know that it was worth it. So I will say that was actually for me the hardest, most anxiety inducing part of starting the business because I was now thinking ahead and now realizing what this business was going to take and what I needed as a founder to feel conviction and be willing to ride the ups and downs with it. And then so 2021 basically was me trying to figure that out, trying to do school on the side still because I wasn't sure yet if I was going to drop out or not. I did think about it very hard, but I really think I just needed time to think. So what happened was in summer of 2021, I was trying to make sure the business had what it needed to stay afloat, like someone else could help with the operating part of it with my co-founder to just operate as a small business as an option while I was figuring out finishing school and gearing up for fundraising if I was going to be doing that. And so that fall, I was actually back at Harvard Kennedy School taking a social entrepreneurship class. And I had this 25 page final paper writing about what was important to me about the type of company that I would build and what values would it have, what type of culture would it have, what would it stand for. And in that writing process, I realized that all of those things I could build in Chio. And the reason that I had trouble seeing that option before was because I had this conception of what Chio needed to be for me to get funding and for me to build it the way that I needed to meet the expectations of our customers and just be a good experience. And so it was more of a mentality switch. I decided from that, okay, I am somebody who, when I believe in something, I put 150% into it. And so I was like, okay, if I can build this in a way that aligns with my values, that I can bring the price point down, that I can get more accessibility for it longer term, I can stomach the short term where it is a more premium product. And then I was like, if I can find investors that see that vision, that want to build it in this way with me, great. If not, I did my best and I'm just going to try. And I think just having that mentality switch just gave me a lot more conviction and motivation to go out and fundraise. So we ended up fundraising in April earlier of this year as a pre-seed. It's funny because then from May, just 2022 in general has been a lot of growing pains with the company just because of how we started was so organic that we didn't really put a lot of the process or the guardrails that you would when you're setting up as like a business off the bat. And so I'm happy to go into that. But (laughs) to answer your question, it has not been a straightforward or easy journey, but I think it's been all for the best. What advice would you give to our peers out there listening who are in that place where they've got this, perhaps it's an idea that sparked, or maybe they're two years into their side hustle or whatever it may be. And it's come almost to that point where they thought, whoa, now I actually have to think if I want this to be a legit business. And if I want to spend the next five, 10 years doing this, you know, how do we gain that clarity? You know, for you, it was that really intense mindset shift that you had to have to go, okay, this is right for me right now and I'm going to do this. How do we get clear on what the right next step is for us? Yeah, I think it's a lot of self-work. I think you really have to understand what motivates you and what you want your life to look like and mean at the end, which sounds kind of crazy because I know (laughs) I'm still relatively young to even be thinking about that. But I think part of what sparked that is because when I was in consulting, great first job, awesome mentors, learned a ton, all the good things. But it also made me 
realized that I needed to care about what I was working on. It wasn't enough to just be good at the job or to keep growing myself. I needed to feel like I was growing myself in the direction that I wanted to be and that I was working on things that were impactful in the world. Not that, you know, helping Fortune 500 companies aren't, but I think just what I thought was impactful in terms of accessibility, improving health outcomes or economic empowerment for people who historically don't have access to that. And so because I knew that, I knew that what I did after school, especially because I was sponsored from my consulting firm as well, because it made the huge financial risk of going to school more palatable. But Basically, I had to figure out, okay, like what is worth leaving this consulting sponsorship for? Because that's a huge chunk. That's literally all my savings. I paid it back recently. So it had to be worth that. And so what do I think is worth a huge expense in education, giving up a six income job? And how am I going to motivate myself every day to keep pushing because I think the really hard early days of a startup, it's always hard, but you obviously, I'm sure everyone hears this, you just are able to stomach more and you're just stronger as a person to navigate the waves. But in the early days, I'm really glad that when the business was hard, that I gave myself the time to think. I wasn't on the hamster wheel. I didn't have funders at that point, right? I was able to have the time to think and figure out, is this the path that I want? So I'm glad I had all of that hard thinking before I fundraised. But I think that's what I would recommend is really just doing a lot of self-reflection, understanding what motivates you and does what you're building align with who you are as a person and Does it make you bring out the best in yourself? Because that's the only way you're going to get through the hard days of the startup life and all the rejections. You have to feel like the end goal is worth it. I want to talk about finance. How do we get through the early days when we really don't have much and we're pouring our own, you know, savings and everything and whatever we have into what we're building? How do we get through that and how do we become okay with knowing that, you know, what if it doesn't work out for us? I will say my situation, I would say is very lucky because I was in graduate school, so I already wasn't expecting to make money. (laughs) It would be very different, you know, if I quit my Bain job and then started this with nothing on the side. And so when I was in school, I was still doing internships and having income that way. I was able to do pitch competitions and get some early grant money that way. And then to be very frank, like the first year of the business, I say bootstrap, but it was like $5,000 and I got some grants, etc. But the business really paid for itself, which I think really helps take the stress off. And so I will say my situation, I think, is unique in that regard. But I am sympathetic to people who want to do something, but the financial security part of it, because I would have definitely been in that boat if I hadn't been in graduate school when I started this. And I couldn't have imagined actually not having that safety net just because of the way that I grew up and I don't have a financial safety net for my family. And so I am a big proponent of side hustle. It's hard. You're going to be really tired because you have to like do double duty. But I think for the type of person who doesn't have a financial safety net or somebody who is a bit more risk averse, I think that that is a way that you can build the company without feeling so anxious about your own financial situation. Obviously, it's very different for different people. Like if you're not somebody who 
gets as anxious about the financial security and you can still make really good decisions for your company, then all for it. I think for me, what I knew is that I can't have financial stress for myself personally while I'm trying to make good decisions for the company. Oh, Irene, we could talk for days and days. This is so interesting. I'm so enthralled in your story, but I am mindful of your time. And so I've got a couple of final questions for you. And the first one is, what has been your greatest failure and win to date? It's hard to just have (laughs) one of each. I felt like my biggest win is bringing on a really amazing team for Chio. If you looked at where Chia was a year ago to where we are now. It's really amazing to build a team and a culture that is so mission-driven and people who are really excited about what we're working on, what the direction is towards accessibility, and making sure that it is a great experience for every one of our customers. And being able to see that come to life (laughs) from what you imagined or what my 25-page paper said two years ago is really incredible. On the failure side, that one's a little bit hard, I think, not because I haven't had failures. It's because in my head, every failure led me to something better. I think that all failures are learning. And I think that's also why I don't really have a lot of regrets in my life, because all of the regrets were also learning. Like, what they say about you learn a lot more from your mistakes than from your wins. One mistake, but I wouldn't say it's my biggest one, would be in April of this year when our operations, I was kind of out of the business for two months fundraising. And the day that I closed fundraising, my co-founder was one week newly postpartum. And then the next day, our head chef quit. So then I switched from fundraising, yay, closed Friday, Saturday, emailing everybody I knew trying to find a head chef or something that was like in between that could bridge us until we found another head chef. And we had deliveries that Monday and Tuesday. And so there was like, the business is going. So who's going to be there? Because as I said, like my co-founder was a week postpartum and like I wanted her to have time with her baby. Obviously she had to be in the kitchen pretty soon after. But I think what we did wrong in that time was that we didn't really have a lot of like culture building in the early days or onboarding and all of like the important team things that I knew were important, but we just didn't have time to do in our head. It was like, oh, we'll professionalize after we finish the fundraise, but like it needed to happen earlier. And there's a certain point where like we went so fast from like the pilot to the opening in January of 21 to just keeping the business afloat while like I'm trying to finish school and do this part-time and all of that that like it just got lost before we actually professionalized and built the whole team culture and I did feel really bad that our head chef and I had a conversation with her when she quit like I think it just got to a point where it was like too much for her to handle and we didn't really have the processes for her to have that conversation with us more preemptively and also I was gone fundraising for like the last two months like who was she supposed to talk to and like my co-founder was basically on bed rest before she had her baby but I think that it was unfortunate and like we couldn't get her to stay I think she was just over it at that point but that was like really important learning for us to do all these things as proactively as possible and build the really important culture and the 360 feedback even as a small company and making sure that continues and gets even better and strengthens over time such a valuable learning. Oh my goodness. 
Wow. Look, Irene, before I ask you the final question, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for incredible work you've done and that you're doing, you know, for showing us, particularly us, young, ambitious women of colour, that if we have this vision, goal and dream to want to make an impact, do something out of the ordinary, we can go out there and make it happen. It just will take some time. It will be messy, but that's okay. And for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Course. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I think at the end of the day, it'll make you better at what you're doing, more excited and motivated, and you'll have energy that's infectious that will bring other people along the ride with you. I love it. Irene, thank you so much. It has been such a cool chat, such an insightful convo. Really, really appreciate you. Where can we learn more about you and Chio? Hey, you can find us on Instagram, We Are Chio. And then our website is also wearechio.com. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. Peers.